0: You're listening to The Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So, pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home.
1: Welcome back to The Central Station Podcast. My name is Steph Coombs, and I'm your host. I'm really excited to bring you this episode A couple of weeks ago, I went back to the Territory and had the opportunity to sit down with Kate Everett. The Everett family made national headlines last year when their daughter Dolly took her life at the age of 14 after relentless bullying at school. In the wake of their grief, the Everett family formed a not-for-profit organisation called Dolly's Dream. Dolly's Dream aims to act as a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves and create change by raising awareness about the seriousness of bullying and its devastating effects. It works to address bullying and cyberbullying issues in regional Australia. It also delivers advice on mitigation to schools. And it's also aiming to change culture and help prevent bullying from happening, not just in schools, but in the workplace and in all parts of society. In the first part of this episode, you'll find out about the early days of the Everett family, how Kate and Tick met and what it was like raising a family while running stock camps. Later on, we speak about Dolly's dream and how each of us can work to make the world a kinder place.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Pioneer Water Tanks. Designed for Australia's harsh and demanding conditions, Pioneer Water Tanks are manufactured using strong and durable, fully recyclable Australian zinc alum or calibon steel. Their range of tanks are available from 12,000 to 250,000 litres in the standard range or can be custom-built up to 2.6 million litres. To protect your valuable water assets and access it where and when you need it, insist on Pioneer Water Tanks. Available Australia wide.
1: As I just mentioned before, guys, we will be talking about Dolly and Dolly's dream and bullying. So if this is a trigger for you, just be aware of that um, and maybe listen with a friend. And if you need help, um, be sure to reach out to someone. You can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. I'd like to start off by asking, I think something for everybody listening will be wanting to know is how are you at the moment? How good. are you going? Yeah,
2: good. I mean, we don't we don't sugarcoat it and we don't pretend that every day is perfect, but in the in the scheme of everything we' we're, we're
1: good. Awesome. That's good to hear. So we are going to talk about Dolly, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, for this episode, I kind of want to know a bit more about Kate and Tick and your story. So let's start off at the beginning. Whereabouts are you from and where did you grow up? So
2: I grew up in Central Queensland. Mum and Dad had a property at Taroom when we were smaller kids, and then we moved back to Mum's family town of Um So I grew up in the Central Highlands, um, and Tick is a as a Longreach boy. So um, yeah, eventually, eventually our paths crossed, and and so how did you guys meet? Well, actually, at uh, at warwick rodeo so um yeah he um uh, was he riding no i (laughs) was i was riding um he i just happened to bump into him and um and then yeah us he asked for a dance and my mum always teases me about um how i had a a list of of things that um a, a guy had to have and um a, a sense of humor and a good dancer was uh, was on the list and he he ticked a lot of those
1: oh, wow. <laughs> um how old were you guys at the time too young <laughs> way too young <laughs> and then um so obviously you guys met and you got together was there was it kind of like a straight away thing or no we were um
2: we obviously, we're, you know, we were sort of living in, in different towns. And so it, it took a bit of time and effort. And, um, you know, in the in the days before social media and anything, you know, you, you didn't have a conversation every day. And um, I'd have to, you know, borrow my boss's phone once a week if I wanted to ring him or. Um, but no, in those early days, we just kept doing our jobs and um, you know, we'd see each other once a month or something. He did tell me right back then that he would marry me one day and I laughed. Um but that's so cute though. <laughs> um and then I went off to Japan because I decided that I needed to travel the world and I, I had a job breaking in racehorses in Hokkaido for a season and um we did six months writing letters and sending them back wow. and forward and I still have all those. Um and eventually he came over and he went from uh, mid, mid-summer in Australia to uh, mid-winter in Hokkaido. So I think he went from 40, 40 above to 40 below overnight. So he's a, he's a dedicated guy. So, yeah. Um, I think that's the only time, though, that he's followed me. I think for the rest of our days together, I have moved, moved with him. So. At
1: least he's taken you to warmer climates, though.
2: Oh, I know, a little, a little further north each year. Yeah.
1: I think that's such a great story. But I'm just thinking about how unfamiliar that would be for so many of our younger listeners being like you called him once a month like you saw him once a month and you guys wrote letters like yeah but that's brilliant because you know back then I think for something to last like there had to be a real genuine interest and a strong connection whereas I think it's a lot easier for connections that aren't as strong to get to still continue on today because you've got so much contact with someone so Mm -hmm. Yeah, the real and deal.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like I, I look back at those letters and I think, oh, God, that was, you know, and it was a week's worth. You know, you, it wouldn't it wouldn't be like you'd just write a letter in one day. Yeah, They were almost like a, a Was dive. it like,
1: hey, sup? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great if you just sent him a letter, he'd open it, just said, hey, sup? <laughs> <laughs>
2: it was... Probably more like, oh, I got bucked off a colt today or yeah. <laughs> I got to gallop gallop some, you know, million dollar horse or, yeah. you know, it would have been something like that. But it were, for sure, the, they were probably just filled with horses and breeding and stuff that he was probably totally not interested yeah. in. But.
1: <laughs> but would have got massive butterflies when he saw that thing come through the mail. Yeah, letter. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. He tells me that it, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> and so what how did you guys end up in the territory so you you were in Queensland for a while and that's where you started your family yeah
2: we got so we came back from Japan and um got married and we moved around and just couldn't quite find where we were meant to be we tried going home to Springshore and we took a few jobs on a few different places and um he always wanted to go to the territory I'm a home girl so I didn't want to move far away from anybody I knew and when you grow up in central Queensland camp drafting and you know that's the camp draft community is your family and I was like oh my god I'll never see them again (laughs) so anyway we were in a job that neither of us particularly loved and uh, my sister was already in the territory and we we applied for a um for a job with an Australian agricultural company back in the days when, uh, ads were in, in the country life, yeah. by the way. And, um, yeah, we were, we were lucky enough to, to get a job, not on Brunette. We started on Eva Downs and, um, um, uh, it was, yeah, I, I just, we arrived and I said, right, 12 months and we're going home, get it out of your system. And, um, within a couple of months we were actually transferred to brunette and we've never looked back
1: (laughs) and were you guys there for quite a while um we did uh about seven
2: years i think with um with aa on different places as as it was needed obviously we they had a a gap to fill and we were transferred to brunette and then eventually we went back to eva and and then we went on to Monogini and um Yeah. So, I mean, all the same company and it was all the same people. So it wasn't really too difficult.
1: And so is that where you got the name Mumsy? Because I hear from (laughs) my sources that your nickname was Mumsy. (laughs) I, um, yeah, I think that happened
2: at Brunette. I'm, I'm not sure how it eventuated. I don't know. When we arrived at Brunette, we actually didn't have a house. It wasn't wasn't your regular run-of-the-mill job we arrived and there wasn't a house available and tick was a head stockman and and he was going off to bullet camp wherever that may be so even though i grew up on places in queensland we just have their family places they don't have the number of staff that they do out here so i was oblivious to that and um he was going off to bullet camp and I thought I don't even know where that is or what that entails but okay we agreed we'd live in our gooseneck in the caravan park (laughs) um and uh we, we were only there about three or four days and um Bernadette and Henry said to us oh would you like to be a camp cook and I was terrified so terrified and I said I can't cook very well um like literally steak and vegetables is it and um and make a couple of really boring cakes, and I only want to be a camp cook if I can be a camp cook for Tick. I don't want to go to another person's camp because that would just be weird. Yeah. Um, I had no idea. Of course, they weren't going to do that to me. <laughs> um, so I don't know whether that name came out of Tick saying to just the staff, "I'll run back and ask Mum," you know, just yeah. out of habit
1: to the girls. I don't. I don't know, but yes, it did. It did. It did. Yeah. eventuate from that my um our friend mel was telling me she said everybody always wanted to be in kate's camp um, because you knew that if you went out to kate's camp you're going to get a good fee and it would be significantly better than anybody else's everyone always wanted to be in your camp
2: oh that's hilarious <laughs> i i literally was winging it and I, I must have cooked those poor boys that first year i i don't know maybe they've maybe they remember something i don't <laughs> I think I just cooked the same thing until I got comfortable. And then I tried something new mm. and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You, you go, we went out to camp and we had our tiny little gooseneck which had no shower or it was just a little bed up over the, uh, over the front. And the girls had their tiny little pink swags in the back. And, um, we had this 40 foot container with a, a stove and a cool room up one end and a few seats down the other. And that was, that was my kitchen. And we were, literally in the middle of nowhere and there was a, a water tank on the on the back of an a-trailer with a bit of pipe and a shower head and i thought oh my goodness like when am i going to shower how had a girl's shower here and my husband's fabulous he fixed that he put walls around it and everyone thought we had the coolest camp but i was like it was literally four bits of corrugated <laughs> <laughs> on
1: and so what was it like having the girls out at camp with you and cuz it's you know as you know it's a full-time job and especially when they're little and they're running around everywhere but to do it when you've we also have to work and then when you're out in the middle of nowhere as well what was that like
2: I look back and think people must have maybe thought we were crazy but at the time I mean they were they were little and their needs weren't very great. They needed to be fed and they needed to be loved and they needed clean clothes. And I could do all of that where I was. And, and they just fitted in. They were like, well, Meg was like a, a little mini tick and she would be up early and make sure she knew who was doing what and who was riding what horses and you know she needed to know where everyone was going to be because the minute we finished school she needed to know where she had to, get to and um yeah she didn't want any part of that camp trailer at all and dolly was just like a little dust fairy just hair and glitter and tutus everywhere and she just she just really ran her own show she had some pet rocks and a dog a and that rock <laughs> all the animals have a cattle station and she has a pet rock yeah she had, a, she had quite a few pet rocks moving camp was
1: atrocious actually <laughs> that's true. Really, are we talking about like little rocks that she can hold in her hand or are we sometimes, talking about like some big boulders
2: sometimes i i believe when we left Monogini there's a, a massive sort of a rock part i don't know if it's still there or not but um yeah i think i think we finally left that big rock <laughs> behind
1: <laughs> at that stop that is actually brilliant <laughs> Oh and so what was your favorite part about being out on camp with kids and and that opportunity you know versus having to be in town with the kids
2: oh look it was it was amazing i mean as daunting as it was we were we were so so young and um um Uh, and the girls were little and I I don't know maybe we didn't put a lot of thought into it and but we had the opportunity to meet so many amazing people I mean going back into the station was like going to town for me it was the amount of people and going to the social club or the pub as it's known um was almost overwhelming I you know like there were days where I'd be like oh there's just so many people and I can't go but it's um you know, we had the the opportunity to, to meet so many amazing people, and but then you get out of town, you go back to camp, and everything it was everything is so simple. You you know the you just do your job. You have a feed. You you sit around a campfire. You share stories. You have a beer. It's it was the most simple life, and and even though work is hectic and you're meeting deadlines, and um, you know it. It just really was so simple
1: and easy so that that actually brings me to my next question, because you guys have been sort of contracting or working out in stock camps or with stations for near on twenty years now. How do you think that the dynamics of station life and stock camps have changed over the years?
2: Uh, going so over the time that we 've been in the territory, um, definitely a lot more girls and women. Um, like there's women managing, there's women running camps and that probably wasn't seen so much when, when we started. Um, I definitely think social media and, um, technology has, has changed the game so much. I mean, we went out to camp and you'd, you'd call in on the radio at the end of every day to say, Hey, we're, we're all good. Yeah. (laughs) When no one's had an accident or You know, we're sending so and so in. We need whatever. You know that 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 evening or that morning was when you touch base with the managers. And um, and and now it's you know where where we would have taken a trailer and water. There's dongers and permanent water tanks. And 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 you know it's in a way it's not a, a a bad thing. But everything is so easy, and I guess everyone wants everything so immediately. So and it, that affects every aspect of, of life. Um, I, d- I do think, you know, it was probably easier back then a little, maybe I'm not talking from the, from the perspective of a very home, homesick jackaroo or something, but, um,
1: yeah, so there would be less distractions and less, cause I guess you came out there and you weren't while on a downside, I suppose, you couldn't stay connected with your friends and family back home as much, at the same time, you didn't have that kind of pulling your attention away. and Yeah, oh, absolutely. Do you think it changed the way that the relationships on stations have formed? Because back then, like, that was your crew and they're the only people you got to hang out with and you had to sort of become friends or really get to know those people, whereas now you can be at the social club with someone and kind of scroll on your phone and really engage somebody a million miles away and not necessarily with that core crew. Absolutely. Absolutely. Changed the dynamics so much. And,
2: um, and I guess... Every everybody's, you know, looking out for everybody else and it's like, oh well, they're at a camp draft or they're at a party or their station is so much better or they've got a bar, you know. Yeah and and there's always that comparison which I don't I don't think that does anybody any good. I don't think it does the kids any good. I don't think it it does school kids any good. You know, like I think that applies to everybody everywhere. Mm -hmm. I don't think comparing yourself to others is necessarily the best idea. So I think I think that aspect of technology has, has really taken away from, from
1: what, um, you know, station that, life is. Have you seen a difference in, I don't want to say the quality of workers, but have you noticed a difference in workers coming through the last 20 years as technology has been there, like maybe maybe with the quality of work or how engaged they are with a job or or whether or not they're sticking out a whole season? Have you seen anything change there? Oh
2: yes and no um you know i think i don't, I don't know whether people are um uh, are more driven or they or or this is just um part of the roll on effect of we need things immediately we need to have gratification immediately um they want it quicker they want it better they want it you know they want and then they now. want to post it yeah yeah and then they want to post about it um whereas before i think you know you had to work really hard to become a head stockman there were there was years of you know experience behind it, whereas maybe now everyone's a little keen too keen to climb to climb the ladder um but you know i mean it's not it's not all it's not all bad that there is there is great qualities to technology on stations and 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 that also brings a new a new type of person um to, to different roles so you know i I don't, I don't want to say it's bad or it's good but no, it, it, de- has it, a, it has definitely a, does yeah. change change the roles and you know if, even people that maybe originally 20 years ago wouldn't have have done a station role they've they've now got because of technology they yeah. they can bring a team together and and they're the one that you know they they do all the data entry or Whatever, whatever, there's so many things out there that stations are using. So, I I guess it it also opens opportunities for people that wouldn't have necessarily been the the bike person or the horse person or the grader driver yeah. or, or that physical person. So it's probably opened doors for a lot more people, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking that for for every downside to something, there's always you know there's always that opposite and the upside. And with technology and station life being so visible to people all around the country and the world. I think there has been maybe a shift in the types of people we see applying for jobs and, like you said, there's been more women. You get all these, I mean, backpackers sometimes out of necessity, but a lot of people want to come and have that experience on a station and then people that might not have, yeah, known about it or, yeah, so we're getting a whole new, all this new blood as well.
0: Hmm. Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations Team focuses on North Australian production and business systems offering current real world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top end ag industry, while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and service some of the most remote areas in the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au.
1: Um, this next question is a little bit dodgy. It's sent in from a listener and our friend Mel. Sorry, Mel. <laughs> I think everyone will know it's, why well, it's dodgy as soon as I read it. Um, she says, a lot of young people look up to you and tick, and you inspire them to do better every day. Has there been a standout employee of yours that has inspired you, and if so, why? And just as a disclaimer, Mel is her next employee <laughs> so, uh, nice, well played, look, Mel. Well played.
2: Look, <laughs> every every year, um, you know, of course, I try not to have favourites, but of course, of course, you do, and you've and you've got those those staff that you know go on to to be. Um, um, you know lifelong friends but I mean uh, look we had a young guy arrive um, while we were at Brunette and I, I remember cooking in the big kitchen I started as a camp cook and then back in the day there were two kitchens and I went to the little kitchen and then ended up in the big kitchen that was pretty pretty big job but I remember t- coming in and he goes this guy's not going to make it through um, induction week and I'm like oh you know like it's, it's a, it's a big week, you know, there's 40 kids or something arrived and they're all doing different, you know, they're all doing the cattle handling and the how to shoe a horse and how to do this and the how to be a ringer in a week kind of yeah. a thing. And, and, um, do you know what? It's in six months, that young guy, we, I, I was breaking in a couple of horses and, um, in my spare time while I was cooking and he ended up coming with me and, and I was like, how about you ride the colt today? And, and by that, by the June or whatever, the, when the races were, I had him riding track work with me. And um, you know, in two years, he was running a, a camp for someone else. And I was so bloody proud of that kid. I just, you know, he he could barely ride when he got there. Yeah. But his his passion for the job and his ability to take in information and you know, there were so many like that. But every every year, I you know, probably have a favorite and then you, and you have ones that arrive and they're 16 and they're like your child. And, you know, they, then they go on and they do amazing things. And I, I guess we've worked with so many people that have now gone on and, and they run their own businesses or their own, own their own places or they fly helicopters or, you know, they've gone into corporate roles and I go, Oh my God, how amazing. Like how lucky were we that we got to work with those. Um, I don't know whether we played any inspirational part in that, but um yeah, we sure are proud of proud of them when they go on and do
1: amazing things. For the people that you've worked with, and like you just said, some of them did start off pretty young in your camp and maybe I think maybe this is where the mumsy thing comes in, like I'm, I'm and like from what Mel was saying is that you kinda of wear a bit of a mother figure um to a lot of people. And I suppose that is a role that often station managers, you know, kind of a default role they get kind of thrown into is that you're there as an employer, but you're also kind of a a pseudo parent or a proxy parent. Um, In that role, how how did you go trying to foster like some resilience and because you're guiding these kids, you're trying to train them in skills for the job, but you're also kind of training them in life skills as well to cope without being out there. How did you go about that?
2: I don't know if we ever had a set plan about that. Um Tick I guess when we when originally Tick did his job and, and I was the cook and I always had this this um idea that their day their day had to start right. So their day I was the first person they pretty much saw in the in the daytime, so I, I figured as long as there was good food and, you know, coffee Coffee (laughs) is life, right? Um and and there was an opportunity to talk about something and I guess, you know, always morning, how are you? How you feeling? You know, what what are you up to today? And and that five minute chat and I don't know whether we we really went, Oh, this is your job and this is my job but I really tried hard not to you know, anything that happened in the day and, you know, they may have got in trouble for leaving a gate open or, or doing something silly in the paddock or the yards or whatever. And I really tried not to let that come into cam life. Like I, I used to just try and be there, you know, in the afternoons and sometimes you, you know, you have to put a hustle in them. Like there's nosebags to be done. There's, you know, water tanks to be filled. And I don't mind if you have a beer, but this, this, and this have to be done. And, and I guess, I guess they knew there was there was always someone to come to and there was always opportunity to have a chat, but also there was responsibilities that went with yeah. it. So, I don't, yeah, I don't know whether we, we put a great deal of thought into it. That was just how we were as people and and people responded to that.
1: So It sounds like from what you are just saying that when people could come to you at the end of the day, it was kind of like with a clean slate. Like it didn't matter what had happened in the day, you weren't going to hold that over them. A and that wasn't you, like a, absolutely. A it
2: wasn't it wasn't my job to to run the camp or to do whatever um i just I just thought I'm here to cook a feed to do your washing to you know to keep this little group of trailers and and stretcher beds as t- homely <laughs> as possible um you know they still had to roll their swags and all that sort of stuff but we had a little twin tub washing machine. I'm like, the least I can do is, you know, wash their dirty jeans. Like, they don't need to come home after a long day in the paddock and, and have to worry about that. So it was just, it was honestly just little tiny, simple things. And, you know, I, I did do it because I love them. So it was it was as simple as that.
1: So as I said before, you guys have been contracting and running camps for close to 20 years now. What are your tips for, you know, you're managing a lot of people. You've seen a lot of people come through your camps, um, a lot of different personalities, different backgrounds. And at the end of the day, you have to work together as a team to get the job done. What are your tips for managing? And and naturally, there's going to be conflict and clashing personalities and just different dynamics. So what are your tips for your experiences with uh, managing conflict and creating those close teams? Because from the few people that I've spoken to that have worked for you, there was, you know working for kate and tick like you were a part of a team and a family so how did you create that environment um i get. i guess
2: we put a lot of time and effort into um m- making sure that personalities will get along you know you don't you don't want the the too submissive and you don't want the overly outspoken and even though we had all a bit of everything over the years. Um, I think we put a lot of time and effort into going all right. So we've got, you know, this kind of horse girl and this kind of person. And yeah, we've got a couple of blokes that are, and just try to match it up a little bit. And I guess, I guess their, um, their abilities that you hire them on also cross over into their social life. So they kind of get along when they go out as well. Um, it's a little bit, you know i mean over the, over the years we've had i've i've had a few a few shockers um but um i think the hardest part of hiring people was um meshing especially on a small station where you've only got a small crew was the cooks and the grader drivers and and the you know ball runners and trying to to you know make it a team out of eight people and you've got you know 18 year olds and 70 year olds that that was that was probably the most difficult but look we just I mean you just go with the flow and every year the applicants change and you really really we just I don't know a lot of it was gut instinct to be honest
1: and and we got lucky we honestly did was there anything you did like any practices um to kind of build that team bond though throughout the season like did you guys travel a lot together or did you make sure everyone had a meal together was there something you did to really try and bring them together um
2: you know we had we had some great mentors in that aspect and and obviously station barbecues was instilled in us right from brunette days so we would often do that and you know if if things got down and you know there's nothing quite as heartbreaking as moving cattle when it's dry or 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 for that matter when it's flooding or you know when when there's just not a great light at the end of the tunnel um and and that's when you've just got to go you know what we're having a barbecue on the weekend and it's bright and tight kids like and you'd do something ridiculous and you'd be 6 hours from a town but it's amazing how creative they can be in what I don't even want to know what they were thinking when they packed their bags but we always seemed to be able to do it or you'd have an 80s theme night or you know we'd just come up with these random theme nights and um and just kind of you know bring it back to being a little tiny community or firefighting and I you know I remember we'd been firefighting for weeks and weeks and weeks and and the night that we all got back to the station and you know, out there fighting that fire, and all we could talk about was I can't wait to have a shower, and I can't wait to just go to bed and sleep. And we got back, and I said, you know what? We'll I'll go up to the house. We'll grab some steak. We'll we'll just throw it on at the at the social club. And we drank beer and and laughed. And oh, what about when so and so who went to sleep on the back of the Ute? Or you know, just it was. And and I guess that was a debrief. And, and the next morning. You know a little shorter sleep and three too many peers but we're all good to go again as opposed to the ride right, everybody's gonna have 10 hours sleep yeah <laughs> so um, I get yes but we traveled we put a lot of time and effort into our horse plant we put a lot of time and effort into making sure you know they got to go to rodeos and camp drafts or races and and there was something for everyone um, and I hope
1: we did that justice. I think we did. <laughs> oh, I just wish... I'm just thinking now, like, I wish I came and worked for you guys. <laughs> Sounds like so much fun. Um, what about when there was some conflict and, you know, some personalities clashing? Did you guys... What approach did you take to that? Were you more hands-on or did you just kind of sit back and see if that's sorted out? Like, how do you... How do you well, I
2: don't, I don't think we had major conflicts over the years. I mean, there's always... There's always guaranteed there's one or two people a year that turn up and they go and you and you can tell from the get-go they're not going to make it and um we've always kind of had this thought that you can't push people to do something they don't want to do so if their heart's not in the job we're not gonna hold you to it we're not gonna force you you know it's it's going to ruffle feathers for the the entire camp um so you know we've we've had kids turn up and 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 they last a month and they're like this is not what we thought it was going to be and we're like that's okay and they go don't you want to talk us into staying and we're like no no and you know what you might find your tribe might be next door this might not be your gig at all you know just it's we didn't hold them to it and and we never there was no hard feelings if they didn't make it um you know there's always sometimes i mean we we're a bit renowned for having girl camps we've had a nearly all girl camp a few years in a row now and that can be hard work um and uh, but you know what there's ways and means around it and at the end of the day you're all there to do a job and um t- i think tick is more amazing at at the people management than I am and he just somehow has this ability to draw out the good in people and go right we're all here to do a job and um I can see you too this is this is your options you can you can get along or I'm going to make you go fencing together for weeks on end or something I don't know so you know he he was he was really really good at at drawing out people's capabilities and and building that and um and you know, luckily we, we didn't have major, major conflicts. I don't, I don't ever look back and go, Oh God, that was disastrous. But yes, you know, like there were people we, we, we had, you know, a girl turn up and, um, she, yeah, it just, it, it literally wasn't anything she thought it was going to be. So she said, I just can't hack it. And i we were like, that's fine. That's fine.
1: <laughs> um, that's, it's so good to hear though. There was, there was one place where I didn't. I didn't make it on and you know I've worked on a few different stations but like you said next door might be a tribe this might not be absolutely and and I definitely think it is that just because you don't make it on one station doesn't mean you're not going to make it on others because that's been my experience but when I left it wasn't I didn't get that response so oh
2: you know we just (laughs) we just have this thing and 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 we we're both a bit of the opinion that if you want to go we'd just rather you go sooner like not hold you out to that two weeks or that month because you're sour and it makes everyone else sour. And yeah. we would just rather part ways on a on friendly terms. Yeah. And, um, um, you know, we've had young fellas beg for a job and, oh sweetie, we don't want you till March. Oh no, I want to be there in January. Y- you'll be sorting nuts and bolts and whippersnippering. That's what you'll be doing. And, they arrive and then in two weeks I didn't come to the territory to whip a snipper. I came to catch bulls. And we're like, well, in four months' time we might do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so you, you get that. And and quite frankly, those those guys are probably not the guys that you need to, to build a team yeah. anyway. Yeah. So they come and go and we just we let them come and go, I guess, which is, you know we didn't, we didn't go, we're here to make you a a man or we're not here to make you a ringer. Like we just, we just kind of went, well, that's okay. That's okay. You know what? There's 10 more applicants on the desk and, you know, we'll make do with the five that we've got coming next week. (laughs) And, you know, just roll with it a little bit, but yeah, not, I mean, not, not every station is for every person and, and that's fine that's
1: fine. You know, and that's, that's everywhere. That's not just station life though. Do you have any advice for people listening to this, whether they're young adults or the parents, um, that are going to come up North next year about how to prepare themselves, I suppose from, from the person coming up here from their perspective and then from the parents as well. Cause I suppose it's a bit different. Your kids grew up on stations and then I know and when Meg went out this year, like that I suppose you're in a bit of a different scenario because that's all—that's what you guys knew. But there'd be a lot of parents at sending their kids away and up in the territory or up any anywhere really. But well, I think it's like
2: letting your child go into the workforce full stop. But um, I'm, um, I mean for the parents, probably if if it makes you feel better, why don't you come up and have a visit? Like drive them up meet the crew, see where they're going to live, you know, hopefully hopefully that that gives you some comfort. Um oh God, I could go on and on about what what kids need to do. Like, um, don't have this idea the territory doesn't get cold, it gets freezing. Um <laughs> Especially when, if you're in the Barclay. <laughs> absolutely. And windy. That that wind will blow through you for months. Um <laughs> so have a have a good swag blanket. Make sure you've got a good jumper. Um arrive with a water bottle a real water bottle not a two liter water bottle or a you know a pump bottle from the survey that is not a water bottle you will perish when you (laughs) arrive at the start of the season it will be hot I don't care where you're going but it will be hot and you will need hydrolytes because guaranteed nobody has this heat like we have up here so um you know and and so, I guess we've worked in so many different areas of the Territory. The Barclay. you don't need a fishing rod on the Barclay unless you're going to drive to Boralooa. <laughs> but then you go over, over on the West Australian border and, you know, you can flick a lure at, at any, you know, if you're brave enough, you can flick a lure anywhere as long as the crocodiles don't eat you. So... Um...
1: <laughs> um, what about expectations? Especially now with social media and people are seeing? Because I suppose one thing from my experience is that there's so many different types of cattle stations. Like you might end up on the Barkley, like somewhere on Brunette where there's a big mob of people, horses, helicopters, or you could end up on a family show that uses buggies and, you know, and so if you've got these expectations and the station, it doesn't live up to them. I think, um, I think you need to do your research on, on where you're going.
2: And um, if you're a horse person, don't apply for a job on a station that only uses mechanical means like just don't apply because the real and the ideal are going to be so far apart so far apart and the other and like i said before the the comparison don't get caught up in the social media of they're better or, you know, they're more amazing or their social club is greater or they seem to have better staff. You have no idea what's going on over there. You have absolutely, you know, and, and that one moment that someone's put a beautiful filter on and the sunset is amazing. You have no idea what the 12 hours before that. So, um, really just come up with an open mind, do your research, um, you know, talk to the managers, Ask who your head stockman's going to be. You know, we've had some really hardcore headstockmen and, um, you know, the, the cold prickly ones with not many people skills. And you know what? They are actually, I had a couple of girls and they're like, oh, God, this guy is so hardcore. And I'm like, he's actually really good at what he does. He's just not a great communicator. So just work with him. And, you know, 12 months later, they're like, we learnt so much. We're so proud. We stuck it out. And I said, I'm so bloody proud. You stuck it yeah. out too, <laughs> you know. So it's try and ride through those those tough times, and and you'll be homesick and you'll miss stuff, and um, just try and work with it. But but honestly, like any job, research, research, and make sure you try and go to a place where you go. I'm not a great people person, so do I need uh, do I need to work in a in an environment like brunette where it's massive and, and i can kind of escape or do i need to be in a, in a team of five or six where five or six people are your entire world for a year so um you just you need to ask all that of yourself um before you get here
0: ag workforce specializes in recruiting for agricultural jobs including farm work station work and agribusiness across australia view current jobs advertise a position, or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au.
1: Whether someone's coming up for the first time or they've been working up here for a while, or if they're not involved with this industry at all and they're listening from anywhere else in the world, you're guaranteed to have some stuff ups in life, whether it's at work or just in life, and you have some small ones and some big ones. Um, Have you had a failure or something that was an apparent failure that has set you up for later success? Or do you have a favorite failure that, you know, something that at the time you're like, Oh my God, what have I done? Or, you know, this, I'm never going to come back from this. And then you look back on it now and you go, thank goodness that happened. Or I learned so much from that.
2: Oh goodness. Maybe, I don't know, even maybe coming to the territory, I was, you know, I was thinking we, we, can't seem to stay put we can't find us we can't find you know something that really suits us and and i guess coming to the territory kind of falls into that aspect and here we are you know 12 years later we're still we're still here (laughs) um but look on on any given day i mean we've we've not met targets and thought oh how how are we going to come back from this or um you know we let that fire get away or you know we missed the mark with our wieners or and and I guess at the time we've thought plenty of times how how are we going to go and especially in a corporate company where, where you think how are we going to get looked at for the next job if we can't even do this one well enough and um I you know and I look I look back now and I think it was all maybe it was all just a stepping stone to what's in store um i guess i guess even losing dolly could could apply to that um you know how how will we ever recover from this and yet we've we've sparked a a national wide conversation about mental health so not only mental health but but bullying and kindness and, and workplace cultures and school cultures and and i think well you know what i wouldn't give to go back but and and what an epic fail as a parent to lose a child but look what we've done also so you know
1: i i think every other day of my life could fall into that category Now, I know how you feel is how you feel, um, and certainly nobody should be telling you how to feel, but I just wanted to backtrack there that I don't think that was an epic fail as a parent, and I don't think anybody else believes that as well. Just put that on the record, um, not let that one fly by. Um, but and, and like you said, you can't go back. What's happened has happened, but the way you've come through this um, and Dolly's dream, which is what I'd like to talk about now, is is incredible though. And so while you may have some thoughts and, and that's, you know, you work on that, I suppose, but what you've done is incredible. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, you've, yeah, you just make her so proud. I think I make, and make so many people around the country so proud. Can you, I know, I think everybody listening will be familiar with Dolly's story and, and Dolly's dream to some extent, but can you just run us through what Dolly's dream is and, and what you want it to be? So, initially when we when
2: we first lost her and um um tick put tick wrote this beautiful thing on Facebook and he's he's yes he's on Facebook, he doesn't use it. Um and he wrote this amazing little paragraph and he invited you know, she she'd done it pretty tough at school and, and he said, you know, to those that thought they were making themselves feel better on a daily basis. Can you, um, you know, you're welcome to come and, and see the devastation. And I guess from that, it grew not only not only anti-bullying. I mean, that's been picked up and, and the cyber bullying. They're, they're two aspects. But I guess what we wanted Dolly's dream. So Dolly's a little pixie dust hair everywhere she was she was cowgirl and fairy and she was country but she listened to Eminem you know she was she was this such a unique little being but the one thing that she would do everywhere she went was she wanted everybody to get along and I guess I guess at the very essence of it you know Dolly's dream would be would be the ideal world where you could be respectful and you could, there would be kindness and and patience. And, um, I, I guess that's where we, we started. And, and despite what campaigns we get on and whatever, I think, I think at the, at the very core of it is, is just reminding people that their everyday actions can really, um, make or break some people and, um, they can make or break workplaces. They can make or break schools Um, and, and just how tiny little changes in everyday life can create such an amazing culture.
1: And the foundation, you guys launched a website recently. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? So, uh,
2: we, we did build a website very early on in the piece and it was very, very basic. And, um, um, when when I thought oh god I don't know if I'm doing the right thing and I needed more information I had no idea where to look there was a little bit on this website a little bit on that website and I'm like I don't know if I fall into that category and I wanted to build something where parents could go maybe my child's being bullied maybe they're using something on the internet they shouldn't be maybe you know I mean the definition of bullying I I look at different things and i think is anything ever bullying if that's the case but the thing is it's nasty and it's horrible and it and it It builds up over time absolutely and and it's all the little things all the little things that that create something too massive for people so um we've built what we call our parent hub which is like a one-stop shop it's it's how to have difficult conversations It's how to introduce technology. It's how to be safe on while using technology. It's about gaming and sexting and there's there's so many different topics on there. It identifies different personalities in parents um you know do you parent like this? Are you laxadaisy? Your kids can do whatever they want um so it's it's taken some time and a lot of effort, and we do have an amazing team behind us. Um, so yeah, we have recently just launched that.
1: In the last year and a half, there's been some changes to the legislation in Queensland and New South Wales regarding bullying and cyberbullying. What kind of impact do you think that, or how important is that that change? And then, do you think it's going to have an impact, a positive impact going forward, or is there still more to be done in in the legislation space?
2: I, th- I think there's still a lot more to be done, and and the definition makes it really hard to to utilize those those laws.
1: Do you know the definition off the cuff, or can you give us a, a like a roundabout explanation of what counts as bullying? Um,
2: it's, something. It, it's it's got to be repetitive. It's it's. Um, uh, you have to de- it's, demonstrate
1: it's, intent. Yeah. I think.
2: Um, and it's and you know it's it's actually pretty difficult to prove um and then you know it's got to be documented and it's got to be this that and the other and and it it is so hard um I do think that there is more work to be done
1: in that in that space um I remember when they were they gave the explanation on a tv show last year and they ran through it and I think even the tv presenters were like I I don't know when you'd be able to use to actually get something put through as bullying because it was so extreme whereas I think what most people experience is a few steps down but it's just as damaging
2: absolutely i mean we had a parent write in just recently and their primary school aged daughter had received this really mean little note and <clears throat> part of me i um the the mum had had sent a copy of this and i was gutted for this little girl um and and part of me thinks you know, I don't. We we work through some strategies, and you know the the team does that. I don't do that. I'm not a counsellor. I'm a mum with some experience in in a certain area, and and you know people people need to know that that I'm not the the bucket full of answers. That we have a, an amazing team that do that. Um, when when those situations arise, and a school says, "Oh, we can't prove it," or you know nothing we don't know who wrote that so you know it's not bullying and i think but that changes the course of that child's life you know that's their experience of primary school and then who do they trust And, and it brings up all these issues and i i you know that's where i think schools do have a responsibility like they do need to nip that in the bud they do need to deal with different personality um you know and we just also, two people can go through the same situation and come out completely different. That's why people make it on stations. That's why some people don't make it on stations. Um, it's why some kids will cop that at school and go, oh, well. And then others take it to heart. So it goes back to this all these tiny little straws.
1: I couldn't agree with what you said more, especially when you said that would change Their experiences and the trajectory really of their life. Mm. So, I was bullied in primary school, and then, and when I think of the definition, like it wouldn't have passed, but it was, and then high school, and then I was so excited to get out of high school and go to uni, and lo and behold, my first year of uni, I got bullied, and you know, and I, I thought, oh, we're all adults now; it's different. No, it's almost that adults get meaner. Like, and as an eighteen-year-old, um, yeah, being, I was like, I can't believe this is still happening, and my little sister was bullied. So badly in her first year of high school that the school actually rang mum and dad and said, Come and get her and don't bring her back. We don't know, like, we can't, we don't know what to do and we can't stop it and we can't keep her safe. And then so she had to change schools. And so, and I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because I think of all the experiences maybe like in my life and it really has changed. It affects your personality and, like you said, how you trust people and your confidence and your whole trajectory going forward. And sometimes I wonder if those things hadn't happened, if I'd had more friends or more kind experiences, would I be the way I am today? And and, and
2: that's all part of, you know, I guess the resilience. And, um, you know, as as we develop Dolly's Dream further, I'd like to, to work on that with kids and give them the tools. and And sometimes parents don't have the tools to deal with it either because of their own experiences. Yeah. So, I mean... And we and we keep saying this over and over again. It's a whole community approach where we're not just targeting schools. This is sports coaches. This is parents on a Saturday morning at their local football game. You know, it's it's every everybody everywhere needs to be aware aware it's of the whole
1: culture. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And and I look back at, at things that oh. I've done or things that have happened to me, and I go, Would I be person I am today if I hadn't been through that there's not a day goes by where I wish I didn't have to do some of that um but you know I really um I really do believe that it that it it is about everyone everywhere and like I said before with stations just because this is not your tribe maybe next door is the same with schools um the same with schools and I think from a parent's perspective, I, I think don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to move schools. Like if a school has a poor culture or a
1: poor leadership, it's, it's exactly like a workplace. At at the end of the day, I feel like with schools, it's luck of the draw. You go to that school because that's where your parents live and that's where you grew up. Whereas later on in life, you know, like I'm not in, I know some people that I went to high school with are still friends like today, like they're still very close I don't speak to a single person I went to high school with I went to that school because I lived there and that's we all just got lumped together whereas when you're an adult and you can go out you choose your people you choose where you want to be who you want to engage with and I think that's the hard thing for kids is that they don't get a choice really with who they go to school with and you might get along you might not and and for them to realize that that's not their fault and there's nothing wrong with them for if these aren't your people Mm.
2: and I mean there's so Talking about bullying or unkindness or, or, you know, kids doing it tough at school, there's so many aspects. There's the exclusion or, um, you know, the, the whispering, the nitpicking, the cool kids, the the little clicks that they have. There's the physical violence that's portrayed in the media is a whole nother level. And, you know, if if your child's experiencing that and a school is not responding you need to step up as a parent and make some noise about that because that is, I mean, none of it is okay, but that absolute top end physical violence is that matters so, so much. Um, and, and there is, you know, I would be looking, I would be looking at doing anything than sending my kid back into that. You know, it's like a war zone for them. Everything else, um, you know, you, you can probably work on to an extent. Um, it still has, it still has, it still leaves scars and it still can shape, shape a life. Um, but you know, as, as a parent learn to ask questions and, and keep asking questions. Don't be satisfied with the, I will look into it um, I think, I think in every parent's, you know, gut feeling, they, they know what is right for their child. And, you know, it, it is tough when you are a country kid and and that's the only school in town or you're, you know, you, you've got to go to boarding school and, and there's literally some schools that are out of financial reach and, you know, if that's, if that's where you've got family or something, you know, those, those things all make it so much harder for parents. Um, it's just I, speak, speak up, Yeah. ask questions. Um, and, and, you know, kids need to do the same if they're, if, if they're going through something tough and they think that something can be changed, then they need to ask questions and, you know, whether whether if they don't want to burden their parents they need to find someone you know a lighthouse we we call them lighthouses in our house and um, my my poor staff over the years have probably been a lighthouse for my kids so um you know you've got to you've got to have that that sounding board that someone to vent to that someone that you trust and um and build a rapport with and and you know kids kids and parents need to work together on this
1: what about for everybody else like you said there is the there is the focus on on kids and parents and bullying but dolly's dream is kind of also driving or trying to drive a culture change across everyone not just you know the rural community but everyone in australia around the world any age size shape color background i'd like to talk about some of the things that anybody listening to this can do to try and embody dolly's dream a little bit more in their lives because and I'll be the first to put my hand up that I I still find myself sometimes because I think it's not necessarily about being actively mean to someone but there's so many different things that you can be doing that can still have that impact um like I have seen and a lot you know it's been great to see everybody get behind dolly stream but then I've seen somebody with a sticker and then say something nasty about someone else they might not be saying it to that person's face and being a direct you know straight to them but it's still that subculture and that that underlying thing and I'll be the first to put my hand up saying that I still catch myself, you know, having a bitch about someone. And there's, I mean, there's a difference I feel like between venting, but then also just you can kind of get caught up in it and whether it's something going on in your life and you just, you need to put them down to make yourself feel better. Like none of us are perfect and it's going to be such an incremental change, but I do feel like a lot of us still do need to step up and, and not just use a hashtag but actually try and live that in our lives every day and that we can all be doing a lot better so what are some of the examples or things that or questions people can ask themselves and and
2: just um I, I guess I guess if you get to the end of every day and and have that moment of reflection and you know look back on your day and go did I need to cut that guy off in the traffic did I Did I need to yell and scream at that first year jackaroo that was, you know, dragging his feet in the dirt and really wanted to go home to his brother's 21st or, you know, did I I need to lose my head at him or did, you know, did I avoid that, you know, that drama cyclone or is is there anything a moment in that day where you could improve where you where patience and kindness just literally may have changed the course of somebody's day um we we try and promote you know just do a random act of kindness um it it really does i mean we were earlier this year we were we were sitting. We had a couple of interviews to do. We were, we were a bit stressed. I'd been on the road. Been I'd been travelling. I'd been speaking at schools, promoting Dolly Stream and talking about projects. And um, and I was burning the candle at both ends and everywhere in between. I think. And and um, we had we had this like half an hour. And Tick said, we'll, we'll duck into this little tiny restaurant and we'll we'll have a um, we'll have a bite to eat. We'll calm down. We'll." And when we got up to pay they had this note written we've taken care of your lunch today and just just that little bit of kindness just made everything worth it when when you're on the road and you think I don't know if I'm doing the right thing you know it made it it made it worth it it made so if you can do that for someone every day e- even yourself you know, um, even yourself. Whether you know a cup of tea makes a difference, or uh, you know, okay, you, you've you've wrecked your diet for the day. You haven't wrecked your life. It's it's a day. It's a day in a life. You know, start again. If if you can just be a little more kind, and it's it's the most simple things. I mean, I can't name every form of kindness. It might be stop and. You know, help the guy on the side of the road with a flat tire, or it might be just, you know, what at the social club, take down a tray of nibblies or something because they got home late every day this week, and the, you know, your staff need to know that you really do appreciate it. I guess, I guess, being appreciated is, is the greatest form of anything for anybody. So, um, I think if you can literally reflect at the end of the day and just just go what could i have done and and work on it every day i mean it's not a one one answer yeah. one shoe fits all it's yeah. it's going to be different in every single environment um but i'm sure i'm sure if you if you start that reflection and and being grateful for
1: what you have and you know stop looking over the fence so much if people find themselves in an environment where there is a nasty conversation going on. Um, you know, maybe somebody's bitching about someone else and whatever. How do you have any advice for how they can sort of remove themselves from that? And, and sometimes I think my, te- my technique at the moment, which I'm trying really hard and slipping up every day, but trying is what is the positive coming from this? If I sit here and th- there is somebody that's been giving me a lot of grief lately and, and I'll vent with friends, but it's kind of getting up at the point where I'm like, no, I need to pull this in. And I'm like, what positive is this bringing to me, like you do, venting is one thing, but to just take her down and say, because she's made me feel so bad and I just will share my opinions on her and I'm trying to be like, okay, what what is there to gain from me engaging this? Or if you hear someone else, so that's my kind of tactic at the moment is to ask myself, what is there to be gained from being a part of this? But for someone else that finds themselves in a, an environment where there is, or, or even if they're not a part of it, if they hear two, two other people just saying something, like how... What, what advice do you have for them to, to not get drawn into it and to maybe potentially shut it down or kind of help those other people get off that path?
2: Oh, that, that, that is such a difficult question. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> there's, I mean, I, I've spent my entire life trying to tell my girls not to get, up in in the drama and and at some stage in our lives we all we all go through you know conflict and and i guess by not stirring the pot i mean yes have have a vent have a vent to your to your person who know you know you know it's not gonna go any further or or whatever but um the, there's so many approaches i mean as as long as you it's not going to exacerbate and get into something physical or far more dangerous. Maybe having a conversation with that particular person, um, maybe you can do the uh, ostrich approach and just think some time and distance and eventually we'll, we'll, you know, move, move on. I, I mean, I don't have marvelous advice at all. It's just, I guess if you, if you keep, um, if you stay true to yourself and 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 live by what you think is is a, a you know reasonable and kind life, then I'm kind of working on the theory at the minute that if you're grateful for things, and then good things come to you. And I know that sounds kind of airy fairy, but it just for me personally, it, it stops me focusing on the, on the negative. And it's so easy to be drawn into the, this didn't work out and therefore that's all bad people. Or, you know, I, I literally don't agree with that point of view. And I, am you know, I think, but I have a home, I have my family, I have a job I can, you know, and I, I just try to be grateful, I guess, for that, um, the most very basic things i do my good friends know who they are and yes we're busy and yes we don't speak every day or even every week but you know what we're there for each other and 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 i i guess then it kind of you know the fire loses its heat and and you know i don't know that's that's kind of my theory that i'm trying to work on at the moment so it's not it's not wonderful advice for everybody and Um, you know, if, I mean, if you're going, especially if you're going into a workplace every day and there's confrontation and and conflict, and I've, I've recently experienced this and, and it was confronting and, you know, it's hard to travel and people say, how do you deal with grief and how do you cope with this? And, you know, you give your opinion and, and, and then actually to go to work and go, Oh, holy dooly, this is actually really hard. But, um, I mean, again, I went, right. Oh, this is, this is not my problem. I don't know what happened to you to make you so yeah. angry and make you want to slam the door and make you want to do this. And I, you know, I, I guess I kind of went into this, this headspace where I was like, I just won't exacerbate it. I'll, I'll be kind, but there's definitely barriers. You're not to walk over, you know, you're not, you're not going to walk over the top of me. Um, and you know, the, the situation has resolved itself, but it's really hard. I'm not going to say it's, it's not, it is, it's not like you just walk in and go, I know two are the same. Oh God. No, no, absolutely not. And, but do you know what? Um, I guess what happens is the, there's definitely different kinds of people. And I guess if you, you know, if you, if you, if there is a conflict, you've, you've got people that drive drive the conflict by, by adding people in, yeah. adding people into it who who have, you know, and I just, I just go, well, it's a, it's a, it's a drama cyclone. So you yeah. kind of just need to stay on the outskirts and, you know, hopefully you only cop a bit of dust. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I, you know, in those situations where it's massive, I don't, I don't think confrontation yeah. is, is going to fix right. anything. I just think time and time and distance
1: kind of, Hopefully I I just kind of had an epiphany while you were talking of maybe another technique is to differentiate between the situation and the person. And if you are frustrated with a person in a situation that if you are, like I'm trying to think of the difference between venting and bullying, So maybe you'd more vent about or or venting and, and bitching maybe is you vent about the situation, but you don't take those personal swipes at somebody. So Oh, I'm really frustrated. She's been really mean to me or she's been nasty to me, but there's a difference between me like, listen, this person's really giving me a lot of grief or that fat cow is just making my life hell. And she's such a dog. And I just, you know, she's just worth like, right. You know, I'm just wondering there like that. I think if we can put that into our thoughts as well to change our language that oh, if you ab- focus on the situation and not bring in the personal. Absol- absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah make it more about the situation and you know what good people can be really really crappy sometimes and it's to do with a situation that you know nothing about so at the end of the day even even when people are making your life miserable it's probably something they're going through too and you know maybe maybe they need to adjust their thought processes, which just comes back to what we're talking about, you know, about building that kindness, about being a little more tolerant and a little more patient, and um, and and you know, when we when we go on and on about kindness, it's it's not about oh everyone's got to hold hands and be friends. That is never going to happen. It's also about having super healthy boundaries, yeah, about what you will tolerate as a person. And it's okay to have boundaries. It is okay to have boundaries. And, you know, I think I think we have to teach our kids that as well. It's okay to say, no, that's not acceptable. And I, I won't accept being treated like that or spoken to like that. And, you know, teaching them to have, have the resilience to call
1: that behavior out. Um, and then hopefully we go from there. So what are you doing to look after yourself? And maybe even like when you're feeling overwhelmed or unfocused, how do you, what do you do? What's your coping mechanism? This is, this has been such a regular question and I, and
2: I I guarantee my answer changes all the time. Um, initially, initially when we first lost all those, those first few weeks were just, it was minute by minute. It wasn't even day by day. It was minute by minute. And, um, I don't know, I, I don't really know how we achieve that. And I guess, I guess my focus was probably more personally, my focus was on Tick and Meg. Like how do, how do I make sure they're okay? Do I, you know, how do I support them? And, um, when we getting, getting actually to Catherine to, to hold that funeral, there was flooded rivers and we were putting cars into into creeks with you know water up to the windows and and stuff that normal people don't do but we literally needed to be out and um and that's just what happens at that time of year um what what happened was we got to town and you know people that were our friends but i I would never have asked them to do this, so you know friends of ours had organized um the the little booklet for the service, and another friend had flown up every imaginable blue purple, white flower that she could find and um you know my my sister had organized somewhere for us to stay, and my my good friends had just rallied around and then and then what happened behind that was all their friends and, and people less connected with me kind of rallied behind them. And it was just incredible to see that. And I guess right back then I looked and thought, Oh my goodness, it's the tiny little things. It's not even the big things, but look, we, we took time off. We, um, we kind of just hung out with, with friends, with, with horse people, with people we hadn't seen for a long time. We kind of just tried to reconnect with people to make sure we weren't just crazy people off, you know, on our own little tangent. Um, we coming back and trying to find a new normal, I guess, I guess we had this attitude where we were like, you know what? We know how to work and we know how to have, have a life and let's just take it day by day and we'll just take it one opportunity at a time. And we've not put our pressure on ourselves to, you know build a new life find a new job or you know do it's we've literally just taken life as it comes and yes I will admit there's a few days we've probably not even had enough rice to feed ourselves we've kind of had to eat someone else's rice you know but we're doing good and I guess part of the last 18 months and the amount of public speaking I've done I hate public speaking um i do a lot of it though and and part of that has been a healing process um when the people and the travel and the the demands of what we've got going on all get too much um we have this ability to go you know what we need a weekend at home and we're fortunate enough to to be here um at at carbine and and it's beautiful and it's quiet and it has this amazing feel about it and you know we've it's like tick you need to come home from darwin and meg meg can come here and and it can be something as basic as we've broken in a couple of horses this weekend it can be you know what let's just go down the river and go fishing probably not going to catch anything maybe a catfish but (laughs) (laughs) you know we've we it's a lot of little things. We don't have a a set thing, but, um, you know, personally right now, I'm, I, I'm eating super healthy. Um, I've, I'm not a great sleeper anyway. And, you know, given the circumstances, I'm a less great sleeper. So I really try to Cut down caffeine, but coffee is life before twelve o'clock. I can tell you. <laughs> um, so there's lots and lots of little things the, the, the being grateful and and you know gratification and probably owning your feelings and and I guess um, part part of resilience and part of healing is is not trying to escape that some days are sad and some days are horrible and that I can hear a song on the radio on my way to work that reduces me to tears where I've got to fix my entire face before I, you know, face up to any clients that day. I just, um, you know, it's great grief is not linear. And I don't think time will ever remove the grief, but allowing, allowing yourself to feel those feelings and, um, but not letting them take over and, i guess at the end of the day the one thing that we all do we've all learnt to speak up and ask for help which probably before we wouldn't have we would have buried all that and gone just keep trucking just keep looking down the road just ignore that and ignore that and i guess we have all really got good at asking for help and um you know if that if that's having a, a beer with your mate and, and using them as a sounding board, whether that's talking to a counsellor or whether that's, you know, running or meditating or riding your horse or, or whatever that brings that calm back, then that's, and, and it changes. It changes.
1: <laughs> I did read the other day somewhere that, um, and a you a saying that I hadn't read before, it's not weak to speak, it's wise. Yeah, absolutely. And to kind of shift that mindset from... But it's and and also to ask for help, yeah. It's not weak, it's wise, and I really agree with that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We've learned so much about you in this episode, which I and I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this. I think a lot of people know of you guys and they know one part of your story, and I hope this has given everybody some insight into the rest of your story, because you have a great story. Um, and you're great people and so well respected within our community. And, and yeah, it's great that people can know more about you now. What is your favourite TV show or movie? Mm. Is there something that you really love or something that you're hooked on on Netflix at the moment or something I like don't that? even
2: have Netflix. I'm so
1: old school. <laughs> Hashtag rule life.
2: <laughs> Hashtag no internet. <laughs> I'm so, so untrendy. Um, I guess if it came down to favourite movies, um, Oh, the blind side gets me every time. Like who doesn't who doesn't? That's beautiful, yeah. I know. I'm i I'm a bit of a um, you know, Far Lab, can't watch that without crying. The man from Snow River can't watch that without crying. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a bit of a movie tragic, to be honest. I am a
1: bit bit daggy. I <laughs> know. <laughs> um, what about books? What do you do you have a favourite book or what are you reading at the moment?
2: Oh look, I, I love reading and I I have read so many amazing <clears throat> books at the moment. Obviously, um, with the last eighteen months, my my reading genre has changed a little bit, and um, I'm halfway through Everyday Resilience by Michelle uh, Michelle Mitchell. I've just read Being 14 by Madonna King, which is like the the secret life life of 14 year olds. And I thought, oh my god, literally every mum needs to read these two two books and you don't read them and go, oh my God, I didn't know that. But it almost gave me a little bit of peace going, yeah, someone else has this. And, and these, these, um, being 14 kind of applies probably more to, to girls than, than boys. But, um, and the other one on my to-do list is our teen brain by David Gillespie, um, which just talks about um, technology and the effects on the on the teen brain, so um, developing brain. So,
1: do you think that everyday resilience one you said you definitely recommend for parents to read it is that something that non-parents could read too? Is it a parent focus, or is it just about as humans like building just, resilience?
2: That one is just about humans. I know uh, Michelle has a a workbook, a resilience workbook out at the moment aimed at teens, and I love what she's love what she's doing in that space. And, and look, Madonna King is the same. And, um, I follow Beck Sparrow, um, on social media, and I think she has some amazing, amazing, um, presentations and, and workshops and, uh, podcasts and whatnot for, for parents. So for, for anyone wanting to, you know, jump on the mum club bandwagon, or for even people just wanting to, acknowledge behaviors and, and thought processes, you know, these, these amazing authors and women can, um, might be something
1: to interest you with. So. Brilliant. And to finish up, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere in the world, metaphorically speaking, that would be getting out a message to millions of people or billions, what would it say and why? Uh,
2: can I have two sentences? Yeah, yeah.
1: You can have two billboards if you like. Anything um, for you.
2: Well, honestly, I, I mean, we, we hashtag this one all the time and and be kind. Be kind. Like, how much harder is it than that? And and underneath that, I think I would need to say speak even if your voice shakes. And that's, that's not just bullying. That's I'm, I'm doing it tough. I can't see down the road till it rains again i can't see my way out of this really poor deal i've got myself into you know that's that's anything on any level and um i really really hope and um today being are you okay day as well um you know look out for your mates just so be kind and speak even if your voice shakes ask for help
1: thank you so much kate
2: all right thanks mate
1: If you'd like to learn more about Dolly's Dream and how you can support it, you can find them at dollysdream.org.au, and they're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There are currently over 1,100 compelling true stories on centralstation.net.au, which will open your eyes to what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. There are yarns from station managers, ringers, cooks, govies, pilots, vets, and more, told with humour, self-deprecation and pride in a job well done. There are tales of working in stock camps, mustering cattle and how education and socialisation works in some of the most remote parts of Australia. There's stories about the wonder of living in an amazing landscape but also the perils that come with flood, fire and drought. And there's stories about the inherent danger of living in isolation including times when the flying doctor has come to the rescue. These stories paint a vivid picture of outback life, the good, the bad and the dusty.